Mac Power Users, Episode 63, Workflows with Alex Lindsay. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. Along with me is Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Hey, David. Also, we have a special guest today. Alex Lindsay is going to be our workflow guest. Welcome to the show, Alex. Oh, thanks for having me. Alex, I'm a big fan of yours. Uh, we met a couple times at Macworld. You probably don't remember me among your legions of fans. No, but, I, uh, we don't, I definitely remember. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know Alex, he uh, runs the Pixel Core, which is a – well, Alex, why don't you explain the Pixel Core because <laughs> it does a lot of stuff. It, it does You're education. in the middle of everything. It does production. It does quite a bit of things. Yeah. So the, the the heart of the Pixel Core is that we really are designed around what I call a guild for content creators. Uh, you know, it, the idea is to look back at the old fashioned craftsman's guilds, uh, where you could send out, um, you know, a messenger and have a hundred people come in, or two uh, two hundred or a thousand people come in to build your cathedral or build your uh, whatever. And the, the issue was is that you didn't have to try to go out and put a help wanted ad out. Uh, people knew how to integrate together. They knew how to work together. There was a system to train and organize people. And we've kind of lost that. And it, it makes our system very inefficient uh, as, we, as we try to do production. And so, um, you know, we started, play, you know, I started seeing this in my, in, when I was in production uh, in the 90s, you could really see this disconnect where there was companies looking for people, people who wanted to work at those companies, and that they, it was just very hard for them to match up. So the Pixel Core has been this, you know, decade-long experiment and how do we organize and, and make that all work? In addition, we do some production. So we do a lot of live streaming. Uh, we also do green screen and motion capture and a lot of other things. A lot of that is, has been designed mostly as a way for us to uh, keep our sword sharp, make sure that what we're training our members in or what we're talking to our members about is based really on production, not on ideas that might work in production or things that we think of in the lab. Uh, it really has to be out there in the field. Um, and so we've done that. And, and it's turned out that the production has turned into a big business. We don't actually promote it at all. Um, and it's become a very, uh, it keeps me very busy uh, as I uh, figure out how to make all of that stuff work. Um, but all of that informs the education processes that we put in, that we're putting into place right now uh, for the Pixel Core. So it, 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 that's the fuel. And then of course, much of the work that we do, we actually then send back out to our members um, to actually produce it as they get trained and as they come up to speed. Yeah, and that's the part that I think is really fascinating is if someone wants to learn about movie effects and digital 3d and the types of work you do this is a place to go and learn you know it's to be an apprentice to use your analogy yeah, it, the 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 concept is and I, I think that for some people you know this is not a replacement necessarily for going to a art school or going to a computer graphics school because there's a lot of uh you know classes and there's a lot of pieces that really work for many many people um this oftentimes is a great way to augment that um and and make sure that they're really dealing with real world uh solutions and talking to people that are actually in production uh and so the goal really is is to is to figure out ways to expose people to to real production and, and have them really digging their fingers into uh what that looks like a lot of times uh, we don't get to do that until we're on the job and we don't have the room for error at that point and so how do we uh, you know, create those opportunities. And we're about to become a lot more um, in the spring, in February, March, we're about to become a lot more organized about that as we start building uh, our certification program or start to roll out our certification program, which is um, kind of the next step of uh, of uh, preparing our members for production. 
And, and you've got thousands of people in this chain now, from the beginners to the seasoned veterans, well, right? Yeah, and one of the things that's important there is um, is we it's a very heterogeneous mix. We have members that have been doing a lot of production, and we have members that are just getting started. Uh, one of the problems oftentimes you get into is people with uh, the same level of experience are very hard to um, uh, take care of because you know now you're basing all of the uh, the support on the handful of people that you might have at the office that could do that rather than allowing them to help each other as well. And so by having that heterogeneous mix, a lot of times the, the newer members add a lot of energy to the system. They're passionate. They're, you know, they're, they're excited about this. Uh, and the uh, more experienced members, um, you know, add a lot of, you know, experience and skills and, um, you know, kind of a, uh, a battle, uh, you know, proven way to get stuff done. And, Alex, from a logistical standpoint, how does this all work? Because my guess is you don't have a big, massive building somewhere with a bunch of classrooms and a bunch of right. computers and everybody is all centrally located. Yeah, so we're, you know, we're experimenting with a lot of pieces of it. So we, we, uh, right now we're in what we call uh, the general membership, which is people pay about you know, anywhere from $75 to $100 a year. So it's, it's designed to be very inexpensive. Uh, and you right. know, we, we put out challenges. A lot of what we're doing right now wraps around our forums. So the ideas that we have challenges for people to try together. Uh, we put up some videos, some training videos for people to, to watch the video and, and work, work through it. Um, we also do live streams. And so we do um, these things called CSIDs, which are cool, you know, cool stuff I did. Or, you know, and, uh, and the idea there is that we, um, we stream not every week, but probably two to four times uh, a month. And um, a lot of them are out of my, actually out of my office. I have kind of a geeky geeky office um but the uh but i stream them and we have a couple cameras in there and i actually kind of do the leo laporte octopus thing where i'm uh editing and uh drawing on a virtual whiteboard and showing a computer and and talking about you know hardware and um, switching back and forth and streaming all of that to our members so our members watch the stream then they're able to ask questions uh, on a live irc chat um and uh, and then that all gets packaged up and most of those go then back up to the members who couldn't make it to the live event can watch that as well um, and so, but a lot of it has been really wrapped around, you know, we've done, we do a lot of different things, but a lot of it has been wrapped around our, our forums for a long time. We're experimenting now with new technologies that are going to let, let our, I think, or let our members have a more organic experience. Um, we're um, experimenting with a, a technology called Chatter, which is a salesforce.com um, uh, tool uh, that allows people, it's basically like Twitter um, but for your own, you can just have your own little Twitter. And we, we use Chatter a lot internally in our company to, uh, you know, kind of keep track of everything, let everybody know what's going on, have little conversations. And starting last week, they were able to open that up. So we're now starting to slowly roll that out to our members to allow them to kind of integrate with each other. Did you ever have any idea it would get this big when you started this? You know, I, 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 uh, this was always the goal. I didn't know how long it would take. A lot of it was based on, you know, we, you know, we still think that the pixel core is in its very early stages and, um, you know, and what we're, what we're trying to produce. Uh, and so, um, you know, the goal is really to provide that, that access to people, not only in the United States, but all over the world and people, uh, who may not have the money to, uh, be in the right place at the right time, uh, as far as education and, and figuring out ways that we can involve them. I think that, so I think we're still getting just we're just getting started um, from from our perspective. I think that we have to find ways to uh, become more efficient and and find better on ramps uh, for many people around the world and in the United States. When you look at 
um, the employment challenges that we're having right now, uh, part of it is just it, it's not that there isn't jobs out there. It's that people can't get into those jobs. The unemployment rate in the tech industry is is very, very low. It's very hard to find um, good technical people right now. Uh, it's just that we need to figure out a way to get that workforce development uh, restarted. And we think that what we're doing uh, is part of that solution. It's not the whole solution, but it's part of that solution of finding technology companies and technology systems um, that aren't only schools um, and aren't only formal uh, to make sure that we can get people not only learning those skills, but also networking with each other in a kind of an organic fashion, um, because that's where a lot of the, a lot of jobs come from. I'm impressed. Well, we'll see. I mean, that's the, you know, that, you know, this is what we've been, you know, working towards, towards, you know, the, the, there's a revolution coming, <laughs> you know, in video right now and video production where the, you know, film and TV and, uh, all of these things are kind of devolving. I mean, and they're becoming, you know, that high end is becoming harder and harder to manage. At the same time, you're seeing a huge expansion in the demand for video, for education, for corporations, for uh, YouTube. I mean, YouTube is spending hundreds of millions of dollars on on um, new content. I think they've talked about their partner programs um, and, uh, you know, a lot of other uh, organizations are doing that as well. Um, you're seeing a lot of corporate companies. That's where a lot of our production has come from. Um, really looking at realizing they don't need to just run ads or they, they can't just run ads. They have to educate their their um, uh, their users on how their product works. I mean, what ads value sometimes is not that you're, that people that you added another button or that you added another feature. It's making sure that people know how to use the features that you already have in your program. And it turns out that video is much more effective than writing a PDF or a FAQ or anything else. And so a lot of these companies are um, really looking at how do we uh, make that available, and there just aren't enough skilled people to get that kind of work done right now. So that's not only a constraint to people who want to work in the video industry; it's a constraint to the, you know, the entire industry. You know, all these industries not being able to get that content out uh, in a cost-effective sort of way. Yeah, and I know you've talked about this before, but it seems to me that as the cost of the equipment to make really fantastic video and production stuff goes down, the barrier to entry for people to create their own content. Uh, becomes easier and easier. Well, and yeah, the, that seems to be another thing that fits right in with what you're doing. Absolutely. I mean, the the, the constraint right now is not the cost of equipment. The, the constraint is the skill of the individual. Uh, you know, it's it is the um, you know, and how many people you can find that truly understand that pipeline. And that's the uh, right now. I mean, it is amazing. Uh, you know what you can do. I can fit into a carry-on case enough uh, gear, you know, for a couple thousand dollars in a carry-on case, I can bring enough gear to run a three-camera shoot almost anywhere in the world. And, and, you know, that's a, you know, it's a, and, and stream it live, <laughs> you know, and, and it, that's the, that's where it's come to, uh, you know, and uh, it, it, it is just a profound uh, opportunity, but a lot of people are just still getting their heads around, you know, what they can do with that. And so, um, but it's, it's a, it's a very exciting time. And for the folks that are at the top, it's an exciting time in a Chinese curse sort of way. Um, and the folks at the bottom, it's a, it's an exciting time as a, as a great opportunity. Now, in addition to to all this work you're doing, you're also a big Apple nerd. I'm a huge uh, Apple nerd. I I, I started programming uh, an Apple II in 1982, um, and so I learned uh, BASIC and assembly and a little bit of machine language and Pascal, and um, and so I I started. You know, I wrote a lot. I spent a lot of time, and at the time I was you know, 12 years old, and so I was. But all I did was program, and I'd make programs that did graphics because that's what I was really passionate about. And then the Mac came out, and their graphics applications were way better than the ones that I was writing. And so, uh, so I uh, stopped 
I pretty much stopped coding at that point. I don't know if I've ever really seriously coded after that. And mostly just, uh, you know, you started using the Mac, uh, my cousin's uh, Mac, um, for uh, uh, at that point. And uh, so right from almost the very beginning, uh, I was using that. And so I've, and I've, I've, I've had a couple areas where my job required me to go to a PC and um, it was a pretty harrowing experience um, as, you know, o- only doing that. Um, and then coming back to the Mac was like coming back to a nice, you know, warm room. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid programming on an Atari 800, I had the, uh, I figured out they had a thing called player missile graphics back then. Yep. And probably no, nobody's ever heard of it since then. But man, I thought I was it. I, I, I was ready to start my career as a game programmer. Right. I remember that. Yeah. It was exciting. It was an exciting time where you were, you know, you really felt like you could create anything there. And, 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 and that's kind of in the same way that what we're seeing now is using these tools to build great, you know, video products and education products and so on and so forth. We're there where anybody can piece that together. And that's what the personal computer did is anybody could write something. And then over time it gets, you know, it gets more refined and, and uh, more uh, structured. But right now it's very unstructured thing. And back then it was as well. Okay, so now I want to hear about this geeky office, and I want to hear what your rig is. You know, what, what <laughs> Macs and iOS devices do you run with? So I have, uh, I have a couple. Um, uh, so my my office has uh, a couple computers that are kind of part of the system, and then there's a lot of they. Um, there's a bunch of pieces that that kind of glue that together. So my main streaming box is a. Uh, I have a Mac Pro, and it's and I don't remember exactly circa it's. I think we bought it in 2000, um, I want to say 2009. So it's a two-year-old Mac Pro. It's got the 16 threads that are available there. Wow. And, um, and then it has, uh, uh, I have three HDMI boards uh, in it. I have an NVIDIA um, 4800 card um, that I use for the, for the graphics acceleration. And then I have three HDMI cards, uh, Blackmagic uh, Intensity uh, pro cards in them. And then the, what that allows me to do is then I hook up my cameras. And so I can have right now I have, um, uh, three HV forties, uh, that are hooked via HDMI to the black magic cards. And so now I have HDMI, very high, very, very high quality, uh, video going into this computer. So I have these, um, uh, three cameras that go into, uh, my, uh, my Mac pro. And then it, then I'm running on that. This is, I mean, this is how we run our classes. And the reason we're building all of this is that we're about to start running classes in Rwanda. Um, we're in the process of working with the Rwandan government to build a education, uh, a classroom uh, with 20 iMacs and, and uh, 20 iPads that are going to kind of uh, run that school. Uh, and we, we have people that are local to there, but I need to be able to teach classes virtually from my office. And so um, this is, this has been a lab for the last year as we worked with the government to figure this out. And so, so I have a the entire part of my office is a um, has a kind of an ectoskeleton, which is um, a speed rail. So speed rail is kind of this piping that's uh, about an inch and a half uh, thick, and what it does is it, it it you can kind of connect it like an it's like a, an adult version of an erector set, and you have all these little components. And so you build I built this thing that I can just kind of hang cameras and lights from. So I have one camera that hang, hangs right over the top of one part of my desk, and then that way I can show close-ups of items and so on and so forth. I, and then I have another one, <laughs> actually suction-cupped. I couldn't figure out how to put it anywhere, so I suction-cupped it to my window, um, that, you know, looking outside. And then I have one more that's on another, another angle on the rig. So I have three cameras that I can switch to, and if I'm talking to someone, I can turn one of those around. I have a little green screen in there that if I really want to do something, I, I have to admit I haven't used it a ton, but it's, it's there. And then I have um, – then the other thing that I, I got is I have a Cintiq. Um, and so I have a little 12-inch Cintiq, the, the smaller version of those. 
And I use that as a um, as a virtual whiteboard. So all of this stuff is feeding in to kind of back up a little bit. All of this is feeding into the Mac, and I'm using Wirecast Pro to do the do my live streams to the internet. So what Wirecast is is a software. It runs on a Mac or PC, but it works better on the Mac, in my opinion. Um, and uh, what it does is it it can you can have multiple camera angles, but it also has this thing called a desktop presenter. And if I run that on any other computer on my, on the same network, I can just see those as, as more cameras. And so, so what I'm able to do is I have the Cintiq hooked to a Mac Mini, and I put um, Sketchbook uh, Express on it, which is a free application from Autodesk. I actually have the Pro version as well, which is great. Uh, but the, the Express is all you really need. And so what I did is I zoomed that to full screen, and I make that one of the cameras. And then I also have another computer that I can do examples. I can show software. I can go to websites. And I make that available as well. And so now I have three. Yeah. I have three cameras. I have a virtual whiteboard. I have a computer that I can do um, uh, examples on, and all of that feeds in. And then I took a, a shuttle, a little uh, contour shuttle, and I programmed mm-hmm. all the cameras onto the buttons on the contour shuttle. So that little shuttle just sits next to me. And what I'm able to do there is I'm able to um, switch from those cameras while I'm while I'm talking. So I can talk into the cameras. Um, and I'm, uh, and and then I, then someone asks a question. That, so I have a, and then right above the Cintiq, I have a an iPad, and then iPad has Colloquy on it, um, which is our yeah. is our IRC client. So I'm looking at the IRC of, of the members who are who are watching, and so so I'm seeing their questions coming by, um, and then I'm and then I can sit there and take their questions and answer them and draw on a, my little whiteboard or switch over to the computer and show something or show an item that's that I want to show, um, or I can just talk into the camera. And so, um, and typically during these shows, I'm also on either Skype or a phone call with uh, our producer, and really the person who handles membership services, Carolyn Stamping. Um, so she's in Toronto, and she's actually watching the whole stream, making sure the stream works, and she's also feeding any notes or questions into my ear. I have a IFB, and I just, and, and so she's feeding that in while I'm working, uh, and picking up any other questions that I might be missing, um, giving me notes of things that I might want to make sure I say. So, so anyway, so it turns into this kind of little lab um, that, that actually, you know, is fairly effective. Um, I'm lighting it with uh, a couple of really big 105-watt um, CFLs that I found on Amazon, uh, and they're really bright. And so I put those into China balls, those, you know, the big paper balls, and it just kind of lights up the whole room. It doesn't give me particularly directional light, but they're like a hundred bucks. I mean, the, 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 or the, 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 I think the, the light bulbs are like $75 or man, they might even be less than that, maybe 25 or $30. Anyway, they, and then you have three of them. It just kind of lights up the whole room um, to make everything a lot better. The, these little cameras, these HV forties or the G, GL tens or all these little cameras, they, they look great as long as they get enough light. And so we, I make sure that they get a lot of light and then everything looks, you know, it, it looks pretty good. And so, so that's how we, you know, that's the kind of the, there's a lot of other things going on in my office, but that's the, the main, you know, streaming, you know, streaming system. That's pretty I, impressive. I have visions of a one man band here. I, I see you with the, <laughs> yeah. the boom drum on your back and this little thing connected to your ankle and this. Well, it's, it's a lot of fun, and you know, and I got, I have to admit, I got the idea from Leo. I didn't have the money to get, to do what Leo did. I mean, Leo did it on a fraction of the budget that you would normally do it on. I didn't have, but I didn't have a connection with TriCast, you know, with uh, New Tech to get a TriCaster, or or I didn't have a, I just didn't have a way to do reproduce what Leo had. So I kind of cobbled this together, uh, and um, and I was kind of surprised at at how fa- how far I could I could take it, and um, I've been I've been really actually pretty happy with it. 
you know, you should really write this up because I'm sure there's a lot of people who are going to want to see how <laughs> you know it's funny. You know, the I, I I agree with you. I I keep on meaning to do a blog post or do a little piece on on what mine looks like. And the problem is, is changing so fast that that I keep on telling myself as soon as this slows down, as soon as I stop adding pieces. Like right now, I'm frustrated because I don't have an I don't have a uh, I don't have a um, teleprompter in front of all the cameras, so I don't have a confidence monitor. I want a confidence monitor uh, monitor either under the cameras or or preferably right in front of them so that I can be really getting that eye contact that I'm looking for. And, uh, and so I, so I'm in the process of building those or, you know, buying them or whatever to, to kind of piece, piece it together. And then I have like, I don't like the lighting and I'm still fixing these other things. And so I keep on talking about doing something and it just keeps on changing, you know? And, um, and so I, I, I feel like, uh, and, and what I need to do is just say, well, I'm going to tell people like, this is where it's at right now. Yeah. As opposed I mean, to, it doesn't have to be one post. Yeah, yeah you know? exactly. Exactly. I'm always trying to wait for that maybe. perfect post and, and it's never going to happen. You know, do you have a picture of it? Like, can we link? Like, is there a picture you know, of Flickr or something? I, I'd love to put a link in the show. I'll notes. see if I can find a picture. I'm, I'm sure I have one around somewhere. I think I sent. I, I don't. Uh, I, I I could probably. I won't. I don't know if I'll have one before Monday. Uh, I'm out of town, and and uh, I'm not sure if I have it on any kind of Flickr or stream or whatever. Um, but let me let me see if I can find something for you. Okay. Right. Well, even if it's later, we'll put it okay. in a follow show or something. Sure. So let's take a quick break and talk about our first sponsor, Smile. Now, one of my favorite products from Smile is PDF Pen, and I know, David, you are a PDF geek. But after our Evernote show a couple of weeks ago, I've been trying to think about ways to use Evernote more and putting different things into the cloud. And I'm still a little nervous about the types of things that go into the cloud. And I certainly don't put anything that has any kind of account numbers or any kind of you know social security numbers or anything like that in the cloud. But there's still some stuff that I would kind of consider maybe quasi-sensitive data that I'm not real sure if I want it to go in the cloud. But I recently found a really cool feature in Smile called Find and Redact. Now, I always knew that they had this really cool redact feature where you could redact certain portions of text and it would not only put a, a black box or just remove the text from a PDF. And we're not talking just like putting something over it that you can click on and move because I've seen people try to redact PDFs by doing that before. And we all know how well that works. Yeah. But this, this, kills actually, it. this kills it. it. It's gone. It kills it and it kills the metadata underneath it. So it's actually gone. Now what you can do is you can find and redact so that if you're looking for a specific instance and this document just had the last four digits of my social security number, which is probably okay, but you know, it was something I was thinking to the cloud. I didn't want any part of my social security number up there. So I just typed in the find field, the last four digits of my social security number. And I went and I clicked find and redact. And it found every instance of the last four digits of my social security number in this document and redact it. And at that point, I felt clear to upload it to Evernote. Yeah. Or like if you're uh, got the seven secret herbs and spices from the Colonel's chicken and something you're going to send to somebody, you know, that you can't share that, right? No, I do that frequently. You do. You're terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something from the South? Everybody does that. Talks yeah. about Kentucky Fried Chicken. No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. But well, I do pretty, email around the Colonel special recipe. It's pretty delicious in California, I have to say. <laughs> I, I like the popcorn chicken myself. So now, is that something you have to have uh, PDF Pen Pro for, or can you do it with just the regular version of PDF Pen? I think you can do it with the regular version of PDF Pen, but I've got the Pro version of PDF Pen because I like a lot of the extra Pro features, including the ability to create table of contents and create my own PDF forms, which you do need the Pro features for, not the regular PDF Pen. 
So would, for just a couple of bucks more, the, the full featured version is well worth the price. Yeah. And, you know, with the pro version, you can make the index of your documents where you make like a table of contents and you can uh, flip through them. Uh, we, we've got a listener who's a federal judge, and she was telling me how she was sharing that trick with some other judges, and she blew their mind. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, for so you for, could... yeah, for 100 bucks you're in uh, to get that super feature, PDF Pen Pro. Uh, for $60, you can get PDF Pen Basic. They're both in the Mac App Store. And you can find more information at the Smile website over at smilesoftware.com. And we thank Smile for their contribution to our show. Now, Alex, I, I don't know where we were, but I, I heard you say once, and I think in a talk, that the hardest part of video is audio. Or maybe it wasn't the hardest part, but maybe the most important part of, of video is having good audio. Because if your audio is bad, whatever you're showing doesn't doesn't matter. Or you said something, yeah, something I mean, to the, that effect. The, I think the it was in the Macworld is, talk that you gave. It's, it's the easiest thing to think about, or the easiest way to look at this, is that if you're watching yeah. something on YouTube and the audio is clicking or staticky, how long are you going to watch it? The video can be bad as long as the right. audio is really good. Uh, you, you'll listen through it. You'll you'll um, you'll watch really bad video. You will not listen to really bad audio for very long. Um, you know if it's if it's peaking, overmodulating, it's all those things. And so, uh, audio definitely becomes a much more important uh, piece, in my opinion, especially for the web. For film and TV, I'd say. Audio is maybe only fifty percent of the of the of the piece. Uh, in 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 uh, web, I would say that it's really more like sixty to eighty percent of the of the of your product is really how good that audio is. I mean, uh, you know, because we don't have as much money to spend on visuals, we don't have oftentimes the great the great lighting or tons of animation or all the other things that we might want to add, and so that audio really ties that all together. And and it's it's so important. Um, we spend um, an inordinate amount of time you know, working on our audio, making sure that the audio is working and using the right tools um, to ensure that we're getting great, uh, you know, great audio in our production. And, and what, what do you use for your audio piece? Cause I know you do a lot of podcasts and you always yeah. sound, sound great on them. And, and I'm always looking to learn. Well, so I have a mobile unit and then I have a desk unit. So, um, so my, mo okay. my mobile unit is uh, what you're listening to me talking right now is a, um, I have a country, okay. it's an, it's a countryman E6 um, it is, uh, it, this is one of those little wire, wired, uh, headsets that you see speakers okay. when they're talking and it's not the cheapest solution. Um, but it's very small. What I have to have is because I travel so much and I'm on so many planes, I have to have something that'll fit into a tiny pack. So, um, so right. I have this countryman E6 that's tiny. Uh, and then I use an auto, uh, IFB, um, that plugs into my ear. And so that's, if I'm doing video or whatever, I'll, I'll use that right now. That, that's the thing I was having trouble with earlier. So I have a I just have my. Is that one of those like the little bug thing that goes in your ear so you don't see them? Or? Yeah, exactly. It's got a little clear piece okay. to it, and it's about forty or fifty dollars um, for one of these. And it's great if you're doing, especially if you're doing video. It's great to have one of those um, just because people can't see it. It's not. It's not big. Uh, and then when I'm on the road, I use a um, Sure makes a uh, what's called, I believe, an E. Uh, it is a, a, a X2U. Uh, the X2U is a tiny inline uh, USB interface for an XLR. I don't, I tend not to, I haven't found, uh, well, the bottom line is I use this tiny little headset mic, um, which allows me to move my head around and so on and so forth, but doesn't take up a lot of space, but it's still an XLR connection. So I need to have that interface. And so I use the X2U. I find that that has been my favorite as far as a tiny, um, a tiny little uh, USB that I can fit into this little pouch that I use. Now, when I'm when we're on the road and we're doing client work or if I'm in my office, uh, the USB interface that we use is called a USB Pre-2, and it's made by a company called Sound Devices. Now, again, 
we do a lot of work for uh, production, and um, when you absolutely positively have to have the best sound reproduction, um, you know, sound devices in general is where we, we, we put sound devices tools all the way through the chain. They are not the cheapest. Uh, this sound, the sound devices interface that we use, I think, is about six hundred and fifty dollars. Um, but what it does is, I get two extremely high quality mic preamps. I have two line inputs, two RCA inputs. I then have, importantly, I have two uh, balanced uh, XLR outputs coming out of it. So if I want to get great audio out of my Mac, I don't have to sit there and plug in uh, an, a little headphone jack and hope that it turns out. Um, I get two XLR connections that are coming out of my Mac, sending great audio into whatever else I'm going to do. And so, and then it, it gives us a lot of control and it's really robust and it's, you know, it's just a, um, so that's a great, um, as we, as far as our, our sound interface to our computers, um, that's what we use. Now, when we're, a lot of times when we're on the, on the road, now we, uh, the mics we use typically at the office, I'll use, I, I tend to use a PR, uh, a high LPR 40 uh, on the road when we're doing like handheld stuff, when we're, uh, you know, at, at, at CES or at Macworld, we're using uh, Sure SM58s, which are just, you know, they're indestructible and they, they throw away so much of the extraneous noise around people that it just really makes it easy. And they're not very expensive. They're 80 to to $100. And so, um, so those are all the, you know, those are, those are some of the key pieces we use uh, when we record uh, podcasts, uh, video or audio. We tend to use uh, sound devices, uh, 788T and a 702T. 788T is again not a cheap. It's six thousand or sixty five hundred dollars. I mean, this is real production equipment. Uh, it is my favorite piece of audio equipment ever made in the history of audio equipment. I mean, it's just there are so many things I can do with it. It's like this little Swiss Army knife that has gotten us out of so much trouble so often that um, you know we don't show up at an event without it in some pack <laughs> somewhere because it just means mm-hmm. because we can not take eight channels in and it's tiny. And then we can reroute them any way we want on the way back out, but still record them all. And, and there's all these things that we can make sure happen. And and this is important, both the sound devices, uh, mobile pre and the, the 788 have these unclippable inputs, which means that I know you probably had problems where sometimes you're recording and someone talks too loud and it peaks. You, know, you hear the, right. you know, and right. on a sound devices equipment, if you turn the limiter on, it's impossible for it to peak. I mean, you can peak the mic, you cannot peak the interface. And so now you have a USB interface connected to your computer that we've had issues where we were doing voiceovers and then someone yelled, you know, into the mic and, you know, it just, it just grabs onto that and handles it, you know, and and it's not, and uh, it it does sound a little flattened off. If you're an audio engineer, you'll hear the difference. Um, But, um, but it doesn't peak and it doesn't, and you still have that data. And, uh, and so, so anyway, those are the those are some of the pieces um, that we use. We use so many of them, I and mean, we've we've tested uh, most of these interfaces, um, both video and audio, into our computers. And so those are the ones we've kind of uh, leveled off on. But again, uh, there are lots of less expensive ones. Um, if you're recording in the field, we really like the um, the Zoom H4 uh, is the one that I use when I'm going overseas. Like if I'm in Africa um, and I, I just can't take heavy equipment, and I don't want to take. Too, too much expensive equipment with me. I'll tend to I'll tend to bring an H4 with me. Uh, it's a great field recorder, um, and it's not too expensive. I think it's two or three hundred dollars. Yeah, just to give you an idea how low brow I am, the Shure X2U is my is my home unit. Right. That's what I. It's use. a great. <laughs> That's my board. It's a great little. The X2U is a is is a great little one. There's a bunch of people who make ones like this, and I just haven't found. The same, uh, you know, quality of workmanship that I that I get with the the Shure. I think that's been the big thing. Is I've had other ones and they sounded okay. Um, I mean, they sounded fine as far as an interface. I used to think that it was just all the same. It's taking analog and turning it into digital. 
but uh, I've had most of the other ones that I've had, whether it's the um, the uh, blue one, I think it's an icicle or whatever, or the there's another one that that I've had. They they just kind of fell apart, you know. And this one I've had forever, traveling all over the world, and and it's still in the same condition it was before. Um, and it's been a it's been a really great device. Are there any recommendations you make for a board uh, to p- people at home that want to go from XLR to USB? that don't want to spend, you know, $6,000. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or absolutely. something in the $500 range. Yeah, I mean, I think that, there. you know, I tend to be a big fan of the, I mean, the ones that we tend to use are Mackies, um, you know, the Mackie boards. Uh, and so there's a, a variety of them. One one that I do like as far as if you want to have a portable uh, device that you can then take out and record podcasts with many uh, connections, uh, one that's a really great one to look at is uh, Zoom also makes the R16 and the R8, and um, those two uh, have eight, I think the R16, which is the one that I have, has eight XLR inputs uh, into it. I think only, I don't know if they're all powered, um, so you might have to use uh, dynamic mics like a PR40 or a, or a, we don't really take a lot of condenser mics out because we don't like to have to deal with the powering of them. So, um, uh, so if you're looking for a portable device that can record to an SD card um, that will take all of those um uh, inputs. Uh, one of the, you know, I think the R16 is a great solution and it'll act as an interface. So if you're really looking at, and that's, I think that's in the three or $400 range or two or $300 range. So those R16s are great. They, they, um, you do have to be careful of not clipping them. Um, as far as a really full functional board, um, I think that the, it, it's the Mackie and I want to say the 1200 and I can't think of it, but it's 12 channel. And here's the advantage when you start getting an analog mixer. The, the, the problem with a, with the analog mixers is that they tend to add a little bit of noise. If you're used to going to a digital interface and having it connect straight to your computer, you get into the habit of just not hearing any noise at all. Uh, it's being, there's not a lot that it's going through and it's immediately converted to digital and it stays super quiet. The noise floor, the little hiss that you hear in the background is just gone. Uh, when you, anytime you plug it into an analog device, you're going to start hearing that that come back in, and so that's the um, the thing that starts to uh, you start to notice. But the other advantage, though, is that that you have uh, multiple uh, layers of of audio routing uh, that goes on when you start buying these mixers. When you look at a mixer, there's a couple things that you want to think about. One is if you have a bunch of different people and you're going to have to work with them, you really want to make sure it's got sliders on it. So, what, and, and this is just moving past what. what which mixer I would suggest, but the things you want to think about when you when you get a mixer, one of the things you want to make sure of is that it's got sliders on it, so that so that you can very quickly. This seems like a little thing, but you you want to be able to very quickly move up and down, um, you know, so to pot someone or the, you know move you know uh, to uh, reduce their volume really quickly or move it up really quickly and make fine adjustments to it. Uh, there are a lot of mixers you might get that only have dials, and you're going to find that as soon as you get eight people there talking, you're going to really wish you had something that you could more organically adjust the audio. Uh, you want to make a, a decision about whether you know whether it has uh, power; it can power all the mics. So, can it provide 48 volt for all the condenser mics that might come into it? Because uh, sometimes they only have one or two channels that will do that, and the rest of them are not unpowered. Um, obviously you want to make sure that you have how many XLR inputs does it have, because that's what you're going to plug your mics into. So I, my consideration is I won't really consider a mixer. I'm really buying a mixer. I won't consider one that has less than six channels because we don't, we rarely go over six, but I want to have six to eight, um, XLR inputs to make sure that I can handle that. Then the other question is, is can you turn the power, the 48 volt on and off for every channel? Can you make that decision or is it all on or all off? Some of the less expensive, the more expensive ones, you can do it per channel, the less expensive ones you can't. Um, and then 
The other thing to look at is how many oxes you have. So there's these auxiliary outputs. Uh, we, we, they, you know, and so you tend to call them oxes. And you have ox one, two, three. Um, some of them only have one auxiliary output. Another, other ones might have three or four of these auxiliary outputs. And the advantage of that is your ability to route only certain channels. You have separate control over everybody's channel. So you have the main output that you're recording for your podcast, but you can also reroute different channels or different people um, out in, in, in a specific way. So for instance, if you're talking to someone and you're using a mixer, you have to send them what's called a mix minus, which is you want to send them the conversation you're having minus themselves because otherwise they'll hear this echo and, and it'll make them crazy. Uh, I've seen it. I've seen it. They they literally go crazy. We have to you know um, bring bring uh, you know uh, uh, you know people to to tie them a down. Professional, yeah, a professional has to be brought in um, to handle it. So so what what you do is you you with these auxiliary buses, you can turn up all the volumes. You this is a this is a, an audio output that's only going to go to them. So what you can do is turn up everybody's volume and then you turn their volume down. And, and so, the, so it's a it's a, it's a completely new set. Every auxiliary bus gives you a new set of volumes for every channel coming in that come out of another place out of the mixer. So having you know it, when you first start looking at a mixer, you uh, you know these auxes don't mean anything to you. Uh, they start meaning a lot to you when you start trying to you know connect a whole bunch of people and send out three or four different mix minuses to your online folks or or, or whatever you're doing there. And so um, so all of that stuff starts to add up. The auxiliary buses are also a lot. Um, uh, oftentimes a lot quieter than the main bus. Um, and so like typically when I'm, if I'm recording a concert, uh, I do a lot of concert recordings in Africa. Um, a lot of times I make friends with the guy who's running the mixer and I say, Hey, can I have one of your ox buses? And, and oftentimes they'll say yes. Uh, if you, you know, buy him a beer and talk to him for a little while and figure stuff out and they realize that you actually know what you're doing, but you, what happens is you can record that. You can take that little H4N and you pop it into a, uh, into the auxiliary out of the mixer. And there's two things that go on. One is you're going to get a nice quiet mix of what's coming out of the mixer. The other thing is, is that if they know that you are, you know, you know what you're doing and you build some trust with the, um, the audio engineer, they'll know that if you're, if you're changing the volumes on the auxiliary, it's not affecting their concert at all. <laughs> you know, you, you're, you're not playing with anything else. Now you have to really persuade them to, that you understand audio that, so that, you know, they'll, they'll let you do that. And you have to, and it's not going to be for a huge concert. Please let me touch your board. Yeah. Let me, let me yeah. touch your board. And, and things are, things are a lot less casual in the United States. We don't usually ask for that because the union guy will be like, Oh yeah, that's my board. Um, you're not gonna, you're not gonna touch that. Um, and, Oh yeah. I got, I got in trouble at Macro for just trying to plug in my H4. Yeah, exactly. That's like, that's my yeah. equipment, you know? And so, and, and, and there are a yeah. lot of good, you know, you think that that's overly, uh, pushy, but there's a lot of good reasons for it when you're in production, not letting just random people plug stuff into your computer, so or into your into your board. So they're very protective about that. In 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 the emerging world, you can oftentimes the emerging world is everything's a conversation, everything's a everything's a negotiation, everything's you're talking through things and figuring stuff out and chatting, and, and it's a much more social uh, process. So you can oftentimes talk your way through that. Okay, let's talk about our second sponsor, One Password. You know what? Next week is Turkey Day, right? We do have turkey coming next week, yes, here in the U.S. So after... You, you can have turkey anyway, anywhere you are, though. Yeah. Well, after you've given your family all the turkey and they got, was it the tryptophan? Yeah, know? and they can't escape. Yeah. This is what you do. You get everybody in a circle and you say, last year I fixed your computers. This year I'm going on offense. I'm going to put you all on one password and just do a joint lesson and save everybody a lot of trouble and bring security to their lives. Yeah. Why not? Right? It'll save you a lot of trouble in the long run if you because 
we're going to see more and more security threats coming and, you know, just get it taken care of now, because I don't know about you, David, but when my family comes to Thanksgiving, they, they all converge from all areas of the state and the, um, and, and actually the United States. Now they all converge here for Thanksgiving. And not only do they all come and they bring their side dishes and they bring their pies and they bring, you know, their mashed potatoes, they bring their computers to me and they say, this, these are my problems. These are my problems. These are my problems. And I'm thinking this is the perfect opportunity when they're telling me about all these problems that they have to say, this is your password solution. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So this is the year. Let's hook everybody up with one password in the family. Cause all us nerds, we get it. But, uh, all the people out there that aren't listening to our show, they're the ones who really need this. And uh, this is your chance to be a hero. Yeah, there's there's no more using your dog's name for your password. There's no more using your birthday for your password. There's no more using password for your password. It's got to stop. You can't have the same password everywhere. Because you yeah. know the day after Thanksgiving, what they're going to do is they're going to go shopping online. You want to make sure that's nice and secure. You know, every time I write about passwords on Max Sparky, I always use as a sample password, pencil. Oh, yeah. And no, nobody gets it. Nobody <laughs> gets it. Yeah. Okay, so one question, um, and this is important. Uh, when they bring the pies, what flavor? What kind? Well, I like the pecan with the chocolate. You know, you can get pecan pie with chocolate in it. Yeah, I only like two kinds of pie. Okay. Apple? Hot and cold. Oh. <laughs> hey, um, I, li- I like mine a la mode, too. But so anyway. If you, if you want to get one password... You get it in the App Store, fifty dollars, and that's good for good. all of your computers that have access to the Mac App Store. Yeah, or you can get it from the website; it's forty bucks. But right. I, I prefer the App Store anymore. You know, it's it updates automatically. It's essentially a family license, so uh, get it there. And uh, if you've got an or iOS you know device, what? if they've got PCs, they can do that too. They can get yeah. it from from the One Password website and they cover their PCs. Yeah, and it syncs through Dropbox, so you're going to have that syncing all the way across. And if you've got an iPad or iPhone, it's $15 for a universal version that works on everything or $10 for each device. Either or, yep. Yeah. Go so, get it, eat your turkey, and spread the word. And over Pi, we're going to talk about one password. All right. Don't spill anything. Okay. So now when you're on, you're on the road a lot, though, so you, you're not kicking, take your Mac Pro with you. No. So what's your gear when you hit the road? So uh, I have uh, I have a backpack that is kind of I have a standard set of you know I try to not try not to check anything I'm not a big check person um, and so I oh me too uh, oh and I can Nightmare. my record is about six weeks on check bags um, you know I oh my goodness yeah, we so, should have a whole conversation about that yeah yeah there's there's a whole there's a whole little science <laughs> do you to, roll or do you like origami yeah so I'm I'm a big I'm a big uh, uh, I use the um, my I use the brick system from um, uh, who makes that Eagle Creek has these little brick systems with lots of different shaped bricks and I just packed everything into these bricks I don't. I have this thing about not wanting people to go through all my stuff and make make it a big mess. And so I put all my my shirts and my you know are in one, and my workout clothes are in another, and my you know all these other things in these little these little bricks. And then I put them in. So if you open up my 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 carry on bag, it's just a bunch of bricks of clothes that are t- very very tightly. If, I, if I'm doing a long trip, very very tightly um, uh, connected. Most of my uh, garments are when I'm doing a long trip, like a six week trip, and it's. I'll have one set of formal, one or two formal shirts and, um, you know, some kind of oftentimes, a, a, um, you know, just enough to be formal a little bit here and there. And then I have uh, almost everything else is some kind of uh, micro fleece or 
or nylon-based, whatever, which I don't find is comfortable, but it's easy to wash and dry. And so, and I have wool light in my little bag, so I I can, you know, I tend to just wash everything in the sink while I'm doing these long trips. Or, you know, in, in many parts of Africa, you there are people that are at the house that will, you know, where I stay that will do that. So you just kind of hand it to them and, and, and it gets come back the next day. So, but when you're, when you're traveling from hotel to hotel, oftentimes I'll sit there and, and, um, and wash it in the sink at night and in the morning it's dry and ready to go. And so, um, so anyway, so I have this one pack that's, that's kind of, uh, and it's almost packed almost all the time. You know, I don't, I, I try, cause I got like, for instance, I'm in Pennsylvania today. I didn't, on Thursday afternoon, I was called and needed to be in Akron, Ohio on Friday. So I, you know, had to pack up everything and go. And fortunately, most of that stuff was already pre-packed. And so I was able to just kind of jump in and go. So that's the, that's my clothing, which is a whole little world in itself. And then um, as far as my electronics, I have a DR67i, which is a Kata bag. Um, and it's so funny. It's, it's, it's a blessing and a curse that it's such a great bag. The, the, it's a great bag for if you're a photographer that needs a computer, it's the perfect bag. Uh, but the problem with it is, is that everybody in my company has kind of, um, decided that that's the bag they want to use not just because i'm using it they just tested a lot of bags and it's all kind of settled so there's like eight of them and they're all black and we we now have started to add like things onto the handles to make sure that we don't the biggest problem is i like I, this sound thing that i'm using right now to talk to you i couldn't find it when i got back from las vegas from a shoot a couple of weeks ago and it's because i put it in the wrong bag it looked like my bag and i just opened it up and threw it in when we were packing and it wasn't it wasn't the right bag. So it's a great bag. Um, you have a slot for computers. Now, I, I've been trying to decide what kind of computer to take with me, and I haven't yet. So my problem now is that in that slot, I have found that you can put a 17-inch uh, MacBook Pro, an 11-inch MacBook Air, and an iPad. <laughs> so so the, all those things will slide in. And there has to be a certain order to it to make sure that it will actually work. Um, so I have that. Um, in, in the, in the, in that area. And what I try to do is when I'm, the reason that the 11 inch, ha, you know, is really important to have is that when I'm on a flight and I'm, and I'm not in, uh, you know, most of the time I'm in a, some kind of economy, um, I, uh, then I can, I can open it actually up and go back to work. The 17 inch will not open on a flight. And so, uh, or I'm always afraid someone's going to lean back and, and destroy my, my, mo- my, uh, uh, my, my monitor. So, so anyway, so I have the little 11 inch that I can do lots of word processing and I do a lot of interaction and so on and so forth. The real work I still have, there are certain things that I'm doing with After Effects, certain things I'm doing with Final Cut 10, certain things that I'm doing with um, Photoshop that I just, the 11 inch just isn't enough to do that. It's mostly a screen real estate thing more than a space, you know, more than a um, speed issue. Uh, and then also as a backup for some of our graphic systems, um, I need my, la- my my larger laptop. So I have that. Um, then I have... Um, uh, I have a grid it, you know, those, there, there are these, um, Andy Anatko actually recommended it on MacBreak, and I bought one and I love it. There's a grid it that, yeah, I love this. that, um, yeah, and I have like every connector because I speak so much. I have pretty wait, much. Wait, no, no back up. I don't, I don't know what the grid it okay, is. The grid it is, oh. it's, it's like a whole bunch. It's like this random, it's like a little board. It's and mine is about, about four or five inches by about 11 inches or 10 or 11 inches. Um, and then it has just a whole bunch of overlapping little stretchy uh, bands, you know, that look like they're like recycled tire or something like that. But they're all kind of different and they're in a little kind of a little grid. And what I do is I just stick all of like every connector that I have to go from HDMI to DVI, DVI to HDMI, uh, mini display port to uh, DVI, display port to DVI, display port to, to, you know, like like I have like all these weird connectors because when you show up at a show, I just never know what I'm going to have to connect my computer to. Ah, and got so, it. Yeah. 
So I just have this little grid that has that. Now it sits on, when I'm really doing a long trip, it sits on top of, I have one of those um, HyperMac uh, batteries, so yeah. mm-hmm. which I love. Um, and so I have this HyperMac battery that sits at the very bottom and it happens to just fit the top section of the of the uh the 467 and then on top of that sits the grid it and then i have a little bag of all the little cables that i might need so a micro usb us you know the square usb the mini usb the you know so i have a couple of those you know i have those i have some power bricks one of the things that it turns out to be totally useful is um what tends to be called a cube tap in production but it's basically um a three prong um that has three more outlets on it um as a travel tip, that is the key to the operation. Um, so it's probably the most important thing that sits inside of my, my backpack. And so what it does is it, ex- it, it basically expands one outlet into three. Uh, and I know this isn't really a Mac thing, but when you have a Mac in the airport, it's very important. Because what happens is everyone uses up all of your, uh, uh, all of your outlets all over, you know, all over the airport. But almost anybody, anybody, especially if they're if they're a Mac user, you can go up and say, "Hey, can I just you know um, clump onto you know borrow it?" Don't ask PC users; they they get a little they get a little more protective about it. Well, some PC users you just have to decide. But if they're a Mac user, they'll almost always do it, which is that you you can pop out their power supply, pop that in, and then pop your power supply onto it. And so you always it means you always have an outlet somewhere. <laughs> and uh, well, that's because Mac users aren't like freaked out that their computer is going to like explode when you unplug yeah no that's i mean that's a yeah so that's the so the um uh so usually you can have that conversation fortunately there are so many mac users in a in a uh in a in a in a airport that it's not very hard and so um and so anyway so usually you can make that little swap where you 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 get that in there and then you're powered up and that that that's a big big piece for me anyway so so i have all of that a lot of just random cables and then i have um uh, in the front, then I use, there's like some little front pouches. I have one pouch that's all my iPod accessories. So anything to interface my iPod with power or, uh, with power or so on and so forth. And then on the other one, I have a MiFi, uh, the MiFi 4G, the, the Verizon or whatever is tucked into there along with a couple, uh, usually some USB sticks. And then there's a centerpiece and that all has my energy bars. So I can, I never like to n- feel like I have to go eat something. I, um, I, you know, I, I spend a lot of, time and effort um cutting a lot of weight uh, about 60 pounds a couple of years ago if you look at if you all you have to do is go online and you can watch the progression <laughs> um over a couple of years of, of me getting rid of a lot of weight and i'm pretty committed to not getting it back and so um so i tend to carry nutrisystem bars in my little centerpiece and that's kind of what i call you know my uh, uh protection against the dark dark arts you know kind of thing where i I don't, I don't feel like I have to go eat something if I don't have to. And so, and so anyway, and then in the bottom section, I have usually one or two hard drives and a, uh, I have a 5d with a couple lenses and that's, that's, that's all like, and that, that pack is pretty dense. Um, it's a pretty dense pack. Um, and it, it's a good workout moving it around, but it's, uh, but that kind of, and how do you get through airport security with this? <laughs> if you pay attention to airport security, uh, you can actually get pretty good at the way you pack your, uh, your, your stuff. So, um, a lot of people just kind of randomly pack stuff, but if you pack it carefully and you think about how you're setting the bag down, so you're pulling your computers out because, of course, that has to go through separately. Um, and uh, but the way that you're, if if you, um, what you want to be careful of is not having too many dents like batteries and so on and so forth stacked up together, and then also um, thinking about where those connectors are when you're when you're sticking them in so that they don't overlap too much in the X-ray. And so when you start doing that, you actually find that they, I almost never get slowed down in the airport. Um, but, but every time I, I get slowed down, I look for what they were looking for. I don't ask them cause they, they won't tell you and you just get into trouble for asking. Um, 
I just watch what they're looking for. And usually you can figure out by the way that they're searching, you know, where in the x-ray that they were looking at it. And so I watch that and I make a note that, okay, that's not the place to put that device. And so I move the device to something else. Um, and, and, you know, I've, I've had some pretty bad ones in the early days where I, I took a, uh, I had a camera and I had a whole bunch of batteries for it. And then I'd had these little, these little countrymen have all these little, really, really thin little wires. And, uh, and I took the countrymen oh, and I coiled them. I had six of them because we were doing this interview. So I, I coiled all the countrymen and just kind of set them all on top of the batteries. Um, and in an x-ray, that looks really bad, if you're wondering. They took me yeah. further away from the, from the x-ray area that I didn't even know that part of the airport existed um, before they started opening the bag. And so, um, so, uh, so I've, that's when I started to really learn to pay attention to what they were looking for. And as you get good at it, it you can actually get through there. Um, uh, pretty quickly, uh, if you um, if you pay attention to all the details of uh, you know a lot of it. Also, when you go through security, is you know I have a Scotty vest. I have one of their um, tropical. Well, it's not the tropical one. It's the black version of that. And I while I'm sta- walking through the line, I literally pull everything out of all my pockets and zip them all up into my into my Scotty vest so I can just pull it off and throw it on the on the um, piece, and I don't have to think about it. You know, that's the other thing is just clearing your pockets with your belt and your everything and instead of having to be this big jumble thing that, that you have to then sort through when you get to the other side you just throw it into a and it doesn't have to be a scotty vest it just has a lot of pockets it can be anything with zippable i don't travel without zippable pockets so that i can zip everything into into it and turns into like a little pouch probably more information than you needed but you know there you go oh that's that's good stuff i uh, i find that my zoom h4 gets me in trouble in airports i've got a couple special trips from security from that because it's got those weird microphones oh yeah you know i i have to admit i now that you say that i think i've been stopped for that zoom h4 almost every single time um i don't carry it with me all the time so i don't think about it but now that you say that i'm pretty sure that in the united states anyway i mean once you get to other countries they they don't some of them just don't care. Um, you understand why everyone gets touchy about people flying in from other countries and have to, things have to be researched when you go to those other countries and you realize that they don't pay nearly as much attention as we do to, you know, airport security. Yeah. It's just, it's so, got the weird microphone configuration. Yeah. yeah it's those two little mics. Now I've got, what is that? So I literally, I just put it in my, um, in my jacket and and it goes through not in my yeah my suitcase so they can look at it without having to unpack it well and the funny thing is, is that i also think about i mean this is turned away from a mac uh geek thing to a travel geek thing but uh um i also the way i put my 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 shoes and everything else in is very specific because i put the bag that will take the longest amount of time for them to look at at the end to make sure that i get my shoes first um so my shoes belt and everything else that i want um, gets goes in the first bin and then I make sure I actually leave it, it drives them a little crazy but I actually leave space so it gets all the way to where it, they're looking at it and then I put I let everything else roll through and that makes sure that when I get to the other side and they're fiddling around looking at my bags I'm putting my shoes on putting my belt on I'm putting everything back in I'm getting kind of settled so it's it it, it delays me less <laughs> to to kind of space all those pieces out but Wow, you really have figured this all out. I do it a lot. I, it, I I don't think I figured out any more than a regular business traveler. You know, I'm on a plane. You know, I do um, probably you know ten to twenty legs a month, and so um, it's at that rate. I, almost everybody I know that does as much as, as I do, it just the constant travel tends to beat uh, a lot of stuff out of you. You know, you 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 keep on tra- you know smaller, faster, more efficient. Uh, and, and that, you know, it's, um, I don't think that I'm particularly special when I, when I interact with other people that are, uh, doing the same stuff that I'm doing. We're all, we all seem to be kind of the same. 
So tell me, how come you don't use your iPad instead of a 11 inch MacBook Air when you're on a plane? Um, you know, I it mostly has to do with the fact that I'm. Um, you know, I, I find that the iPad really needs to be connected to the cloud for it to really have access to, you know, easy access to lots of other files. A lot of times I'm swapping files in and out with a with a, a USB stick uh, or I'm hooking to it. I'm connecting it to a hard drive or I'm, you know, I have because I can't store everything on locally on any of my computers. So I've got an extra hard drive that's got a bunch of, you know, another terabyte of information that, that, that I'm uh, grabbing onto for a specific project here or there. And so the the issue really gets into the fact that it's just I can't hook a hard drive to my my uh, my iPad. I use my iPad a lot when I'm in the airport. Um, typically, that's what I open up. So my iPad really becomes useful when I'm in the airport and, and I'm answering emails. Uh, about nine out of ten times, I'm answering them from my iPad because I don't have to think about you know what wireless connection I'm I'm going to try to connect to or anything else. I don't I can you know it's it's easy for me to pull out. Generally, the battery will last a long time. I'm not using up my work battery. Uh, to check email, and so, so typically I'll open up my iPad and uh, um, and start, you know, and I can sit there with my legs crossed, you know, some place, and sit there and go through news and and uh, interact with my my chatter feed and check my email and you know all that stuff. So that's where I use my iPad or watch videos, uh, but that's definitely where I use my iPad um, uh, more often. Another thing I got thinking about is you spend a lot of time in Africa. Yeah. And I've always wondered about the power and the data and all the issues that come with being a nerd and being, uh, you know, in a place like Africa. Well, it, it definitely is changing dramatically, too. I mean, so I, it depends on what country you're in. It also depends on, you know, in the last couple of years, it's changed dramatically. So so you have, uh, you know, uh, a lot of my work over the last 10 years has been in Zimbabwe, which is uh, still one of my favorite places to be in the world. I mean, it's like the place that I recharge. It's the place that, you know, I'm, mo- I, 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 I think it's odd to say, but it's the place I'm most comfortable. Um, and, uh, and so I, uh, um, uh, and so I go, you know, when I get to Zimbabwe, the one side, you know, uh, the one side effect of that is that there's a lot of, you know, power, uh, power outages. Um, a lot of them are planned, uh, the rolling uh, power. They just don't have, they can't power everybody all at the same time. Uh, and, uh, so you get kind of used to it. Uh, that's where that, that's why that battery becomes really important to me, uh, is making sure that you, that I have a battery that'll last 10 or 12 hours. Um, and I can keep on working. You do get very obsessive in, uh, the emerging world, no matter what, uh, you get very obsessive with, um, uh, with charging and you get very good at it. I charge constantly. Like I'm not, someone who lets my computer drag out very long. I, I'm, I'm constantly charging everything all at the same time, you know, and, and I'm trying to keep my, my camera batteries, my phone batteries, my laptop batteries always at maximum, um, you know, and, and fully charged because, it, and you get trained to get that. Again, that's something that, that, that it kind of gets beaten out of you to, to be lazy about that because, um, because you, you don't know when you're going to get it. And, and having multiple computers makes it easy because, well, I'm going to work, um, I'm going to work on the, the high level stuff. That battery goes dead and I'm going to now work on, you know, emails and planning and that goes dead. And now I'm on my iPad and, and that, you know, and the other thing is, is that I, I actually, uh, I like the fact that some, I think that there's something great about losing your power as well, because it, it just enforces a lot of us are such geeks that it's so hard to disconnect. And when all your batteries are dead, you know, you sit around having tea and actually talking to people and it's very, uh, very enjoyable as well. So, now in other countries, you know, uh, in uh, we're uh, doing a lot of work right now with the government of Rwanda, and so I've been to Rwanda a couple of times. And, and when you look at where it's it's going, uh, 
you know, Rwanda is going to be more connected than the United States. I mean, they have fiber backbones running through the entire country. They're just hooking it up to the uh, gigabit connections that are coming out of Mombasa in uh, Kenya and uh, and through Tanzania. And, and so they are and they're building up this WiMAX mesh network all over the capital right now. And so you're looking at a country that not only am I not, I'm not worried about power, um, it is something that is, uh, you know, it's going to be more robust from a connectivity perspective than the United States within the next couple of years at the rate they're going. Uh, now, the thing you, you do think about, a lot of my friends in Africa, I will say, are uh, moving more and more towards a lot of so, um, solar solutions, uh, where a lot of them are building inverters um, that are basically trickle charging uh, batteries. Uh, and a lot of them are like the marine batteries or uh, a couple other, I mean, marine as in boat batteries um, yeah. or car batteries. And they trickle charge all these batteries. And so if anything happens, uh, really they're, um, you know, they're, they're, they're doing that through a solar. And when they have power, it's charging up that system so that whenever they lose power, they still have power. And so those trickle charge systems, those inverters with a trickle charge system and the solar has become extremely popular in Africa um, just as a result of the, the areas. Um, you do have to pay attention to, Things you have to make sure of is you, a lot of people will take, um, uh, you know, little power strips with them when they're going to do work. And you have to be careful because if they have a fuse in them, they're most likely 110 volt. And so we always look at whether they have little switches and fuses. That usually means that there's going to be trouble. Um, and uh, the other thing is that you just have to look at every one of your adapters. Um, don't let anyone sell you as a, as a Mac user. Don't let anyone sell you an, a full inverter for your um, – uh, you know, like a heavy Brookstone or whatever inverter for your computer. You don't need that. All you need is the converter that converts your power supply to whatever the, the uh, you know, whether it's uh, the UK or the South African or whatever. Just just the, all you have to do is convert your power supply um, into the wall. The, uh, it, it'll handle uh, a Mac and many, many other PCs and everything else. Um, but it'll handle one, I think about 100 volts up to about 240 volts. And so it'll handle that well. Um, the one thing that is nice if you get a ground um, version is that you will be grounded. And the higher voltage, unit, you'll notice it more. Um, if, you're, if you ever use the two-prong on your Mac, and especially if you're overseas and you're using two-prong, when you put your hand on your Mac Pro, it'll feel like it's, there's this subtle vibrating that's going on. What that is is electricity. <laughs> and that's going from the computer to you. You are now grounding the computer. Um, and uh, if you have, a, if you keep a laptop long enough and you're overseas a lot, you'll actually see this little black thing that appears on your on your MacBook Pro. And that's actually, you know, your skin. You know, so um, you just want to kind of think about that when you're thinking about uh, whether you want to ground your uh, computer. It's a good thing when you can is to actually get a grounded connection to your, uh, um, especially at the higher voltages. Um, I, I haven't, you know, I don't know if there's any permanent damage, but it doesn't make me uh, feel better about using my Mac. I had no idea that you could do that. I figured you needed an inverter when you'd go over. Exactly. Well, I, I thought that for the first couple of trips, and then I, I saw these these little uh, converters that you can buy in the airport, and I was like, there is no way that you can do that. And uh, and so then I started really paying attention to all these. Um, uh, if you really look at your – if you look at all the fine print on your power supply, it'll say 100 volts to 240 volts or whatever. And so they, you know, it's cheaper for them to build one, you know, build one version for everything. And then there is an international kit that they sell at the Apple store. That, and all it is, is the little plugs that you plug. It's like $49 or something. And it's all the plugs that you need for uh, different countries all in one little pack. And you can buy that. For, there's an Apple version of that, but you can also buy really cheap ones on Amazon. And it's just a, it's a bunch of plugs in and a bunch of plugs out. Um, Brookstone actually makes one and a couple other companies make them. 
that are like a little box that it's like a Swiss army knife for connecting, you know, one plug to another. So all of those things are possible. Um, typically the South African one, the South African one is the only one left out because it's, um, it's so bulky. So you have to usually buy those when you're in South Africa um, or buy them at, on Amazon or whatever. Um, the, you do have to pay attention. You have to look at every one of your power supplies because if you plug a 110 into a 240, it's exciting. You know, it, it usually, <laughs> usually, you know, it usually involves smart sparks and smoke and it usually doesn't hurt your computer. Um, but it does, you know, cause a lot of excitement. Um, the, uh, uh, it is, and we do it every once in a while. I, I just did it in, in London. I had these walkie talkies that we use and I just plugged them into the power. I didn't even think about it. I just plugged them in. They, we had just bought them before we left and I just plugged them into the wall and suddenly I was like, what do I smell? And I was like, Oh no. You know, and I, and I ran over and pulled them out and they're all in the smoke billowing out of the little power supply. And so, um, the, 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 the walkie talkies were fine, but the power supply was toast. And, um, the, uh, so you, you do have to pay attention to, um, you know, uh, all those pieces, but you really only need those little converters and they're only $7 instead of 90. And more importantly, they're almost no weight instead of, uh, lots of them. And so I have like a whole drawer just full of every, you know, converter that you would need. And again, remember the thing that, um, is that remember those little cube taps that I was talking about, you know, like a little one to three, what you do is you get one of those converters and you put the cube tap on the converter and then, it, then you can just plug all, so you don't have to buy a converter for every single device that you have. You just need, um, you just need to convert that, whatever that UK big prong thing into your, uh, your U S one, if you're in the U S uh, or, you know, vice versa, if you're coming from London or Europe or whatever. And then now all of your apparatuses theoretically can, can just plug into those cube tabs. Um, and you can stack those cube tabs together, although I wouldn't suggest it because it kind of turns into a fire hazard. Yeah. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. I, you know, I never thought of that. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it's useful. <laughs> now, do you use the really big HyperMac battery or which one? I don't do use, use the, I use the medium size one. The small one, it doesn't really, the, the medium size one that's about four inches by 10 inches or something like that. Uh, because that one, again, it fits perfectly in the upper pocket of my DR467. So it just fits as a, it kind of creates a hard floor for that. And then, and then I can, and then I put the grid it, which is about almost exactly the same size on top of that with all my converters. And then I put a couple little bags of other stuff on it and then I, you know, close it up. Yeah, I bought the HyperMac battery at Macworld a few years ago, and I don't use it as often as I'm sure you do. But when you do need it, it's really handy. And for the listeners, it's it's about it's about mine is about the length of a shoebox, but it's about an inch thick. Yep. And it gives you like eight hours. Yeah. Or I probably I don't know how much it gives me on my MacBook Air. I've never run it out, but it gives you power for your Mac. It's a great thing, especially if you're doing long flights. I mean, I'm on flights oftentimes that are ten, eleven. 14, 17 hours and you know, your Mac is just not going to last that long. And so, so I, uh, I find it really useful. I also have, you know, bag extra battery packs for my iPhone and, you know, so on and so forth. So. And our last sponsor for the show is the Omni group. And David, you made a new friend this week. Yes. I made friends with Siri. You've made friends with Siri. Now you're rubbing this in my face because Siri and I aren't friends yet. I don't yeah, have well, one of those I fancy, fancy it. new iPhone S's. I can't help it if you use old technology, Katie. I'm stuck in my contract. The people at AT&T are mean to me. So a couple of weeks ago, I got a call from Omni Group, and they said, we're, uh, we made a Siri uh, connection for OmniFocus. So now you can tell Siri to remember to do something, and it shows up in your OmniFocus inbox. And uh, I got very excited. And then they said, hey, would you also make a video for us? Because we're really busy trying to get this programming stuff done. 
And I said, does that mean I get in early on the f- feature? And they said, yes. And I said, absolutely, I'm in. So, uh, so you I got made... to play with this before anybody else did? Yeah, I had it for two weeks, and I couldn't tell anybody, and it was driving me crazy. Yeah, it's... I had a suspicion there was something up with you. It, it, it's it's really awesome. So you're driving to work, and you remember that you need to do something when you get to work. You know, you need to, I don't know, whatever. So you, you hold down the button, uh, remember to you know take out the trash when I get to work or whatever you do at work. And it just shows up in your OmniFocus inbox. Wow. And they've got different things. You can set a, t- a due date if you want. You can set a location, which works with location reminders. So if you've got a context like work and you've got OmniFocus set to remind you when you arrive at work, when you set a work task, they show up in the OmniFocus reminder just like the Reminders app does. But it's even better if you like to use reminders for other stuff, like I have a grocery list in Reminders. Mm-hmm. Um that stays in reminders. It doesn't all go to OmniFocus. The trick there is you set up a separate OmniFocus reminder list in the Reminders app, and then remind uh, OmniFocus is smart enough just to get that. Wow! It, it really brings OmniFocus to a new level, you know, because we've all struggled with the idea of capture. You know, what do you do when you're walking down the street and you think of something? Uh, you know, OmniFocus made it pretty easy. You could hit the app with one tap, and then there was an inbox with another tap, and then you could type in a message. But being able to just click the button and say, you know, remember to whatever, uh, it happens. It just happens. So like when you're driving to work or doing anything, Capture just got a lot easier with OmniFocus. So where can I go see these really cool videos that this really cool guy did about Siri? Yeah, the the videos came out great. I was really happy with them. And uh, just for everyone out there in advertising, I have so much more respect for what you do now. <laughs> Because I didn't, it's like a minute and a half video and it took me like 10 hours. I'm uh, sure. <laughs> but the, uh, I made three of them. So they're on the OmniFocus website. They're on Vimeo through OmniFocus's page. And I have one of them linked on my page. But uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. They're kind of fun. You know, I, I tried to make them, at least one of them was funny. I, I tried. So if you haven't gotten your life into OmniFocus yet, now is a great time to take the plunge because they are ready for you. So you can go check out OmniFocus. You can download a free trial from their website. Or when you're ready to buy, OmniFocus is ready for you too. Yeah, you can get it at the Mac App Store for $80. That's the Mac version. You can get it for your iPad for $40 or for your iPhone for $20. So the $20 version is the one that has the new Siri integration. And if you already own it on your iPhone, then you get that upgrade for free. Yep, check for updates. Thank you, OmniFocus, for your support of the Mac Power users. Now, Alex, one thing that that struck me is a lot of the the stuff that you're talking about, you know, from a technology perspective and even a business perspective, a, a lot of stuff just could not have happened ten or or maybe even five years ago because of the way that the technology has has changed over time. Or, you know, it would be dramatically different. It just wouldn't be possible to run your business and your life the way that you are. I, I wonder. Where do you see this going, you know, maybe three to five years from now? Because, you know, we're we're really not sure what's going to happen with the MacBook Pro. And, you know, we've got this new Thunderbolt thing. And are are should the professionals like yourself be worried that with this kind of consumeritization? Well, I, I'm not worried about it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss my Mac Pro. Um, I, I, uh, 
I, th- I, I, I do think that we're going to see one more Mac Pro to finish the line. I strongly think that we're going to see a, a one more Thunderbolt, uh, one Mac Pro with a Thunderbolt and the newest Intel chips, which just got pushed out, I think, this last week. They just not ready. The delay is really on the chips, not on Apple. Uh, so I do think we're going to see one more upgrade to the MacBook or the Mac Pro. I think that that will be the last one. Uh, I don't think we'll ever see another Mac Pro that way. I don't think that that means that we're not going to have professional solutions. I think that what we're looking at is is as Thunderbolt matures, I think that what we're going to end up with is a um, uh, expansion boxes that are available uh, for our MacBook Pros or our Mac Minis, our um, iMacs that will do a lot of. Uh, what we're uh, used to doing with our Mac, our, our big Mac Pros. And so so I think that that solution, but I don't think that's mature enough yet for us to wait for that. So that's why I'm hoping that we're going to get one more Mac uh, Mac Pro uh, so that we can have that expansion as that, that system matures. Uh, so I think that that's the direction that we're going there. I do think that we are going to see more and more of the iLife, uh, or I'm sorry, the iOS uh, being incorporated into our computers. Uh, and I think that we're also, I still believe that we're going to see much more integration uh, with the Apple TV, I think I do believe that eventually, within the next 24 months, we'll see a TV made by Apple uh, that is um, that is iOS enabled, and I think that it'll do much of what we um, think of doing with our iPad. Uh, I know a lot of people think that that's not necessary, but there's a lot of people that don't want any. I mean, a lot of people like me that don't want. I, I just don't want to have any uh, uh, controllers. You know, I have my iPhone, my iPad. I just want to be able to interact with my TV without ever thinking about any other controller. I just pull out my phone and start running it. Uh, and so I think that there's enough people that will pay a premium to have that. Um, and that's how Apple runs, is, is just enough people that are excited about having their life be a little easier and, and a little bit more embedded into that process. And so I think that Apple is going to do um, you know fairly well with that. I, my mom, um, her her iMac, you know, it's 10 years old or maybe eight years old, and uh, it uh, finally died. And um, and so she uh, is looking at a new computer, and she was asking me what, what what she should get. And I was like, you should just get an iPad. I mean, you want to – she wants to check her email. She wants to go to the web. She wants to watch Netflix. She wants to, um, you know, that type of thing, go to Facebook. Uh, all those things are things that you do on an iPad. And I think that uh, when we incorporate that into a TV experience, um, I think that – the reality is, is 70, 80% of the population, that's all they need, you know, is really what iOS provides. And they don't want to figure out where to install things or where the, you know, uh, any of those pieces. And, and, and having it incorporated into their into their TV, you know, just where they are, I think makes a lot more sense um, than uh, having a special uh, machine that does that. I think that, um, so I think we're going to see a lot of that. Um, I think as a professional, I think that, it, you know, it'll be interesting. It'll be a challenge. What I'm, you know, my campaign, of course, is the, somehow, you know, persuade Apple to um, open source OS 10 if they're going to give it up. If they if they really move to a completely iOS experience is, you know, let let um, and, and Leo and a lot of other people think I'm crazy. But but I think that you let everybody else continue to develop it um, and make it something that, that people can customize for a professional. That would be the best of both worlds, um, because. You know, you, what we really want is NVIDIA writing their own drivers. Uh, other people, you know, there's a lot of performance hits that professionals take right now on the Mac because Apple writes everything because there's too much control. And so we would actually benefit from something that's a little bit more opened um, if Apple opened it up after they've kind of finished with it, you know, if you know what I mean. Um, but I think that the, uh, but I think that the vast majority of business operations as well as, um, as well as home consumers uh, are not going to need more than iOS uh, 
you know, in the next five years. And I'm not saying they don't, they need, they don't need more than what iOS is right now, but I think that as we see upgrades every year, I think you're going to see it be halfway or maybe part of the way between what we see now and OS 10 is going to be the kind of where things kind of start to land. Well, I mean, it's indisputable that the hardware is only going to get better yeah. and the software is only going to get better. Right. Um, I was just talking to my wife the other night. I think in our family, we've got several old Macs that are getting ready to give up the ghost. And, you know, I think what we're going to do is we're just going to have iMacs for the kids will have an iMac and we'll have one family Mac right. that we share. Right. And, that, and that's kind of an intermediate. Yeah, and my kids, you see my kids are all on iPads. I mean, they're done. They're not like I, I stopped buying them computers because they stopped using them. I mean, I bought them a computer and they don't use it anymore. They just use their iPads. So, so it's, it's, um, you know, that, that has changed, uh, you know, fairly dramatically. They don't need a keyboard and the keyboard is not good enough to do any kind of real writing. But, but I think that as the voice activation stuff improves, um, I think that'll become less and less important. I do think that, that the iPad is, I think that it opens up the possibility as we start to see schools use it as just revolutionizing well, possibly revolutionizing the school system um, and, and changing the entire structure if people get more aggressive about it. It's interesting. I have a nephew who's one year old, just turned one year old last mm-hmm. week, and he loves to play on the iPad. He, lo- You know, we have a couple little yeah. things with colors and things, yep. and he does that. And the other day we were watching a football game, and he walked up to the TV and started rubbing his oh. hands over the screen. And then he turns around and he looks at me like literally thinking like, what the hell is wrong with this? It, 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 it's so funny because that my, my, if you look at our, at our, um, our LCD in the, in the living room, there are fingerprints all over the bottom of my two-year-old and four-year-old sitting there hitting the screen, trying to get it to do something and thinking that the next time they come up, it's actually going to work. And, and, and cause they're, they, they're completely used to their, their iPad slash iPhone experience. The, the danger is they know how to use it better than. They they know how to use my wife's iPhone better than she does, and they're, they're constantly changing her. Uh, I mean, my two year old is changing um, the photos uh, in the background, and I don't. She, she can't read any of that stuff, but she knows where it is and she knows where to slide and, and how to choose it. And and watching her just seamlessly go through uh, using an iPad, um, I think is really is a testament to what uh, an amazing interface design. She likes to play Itsy yeah, Bitsy Spider, and she just very cleanly, she'll turn it on, she'll swipe it open, she'll go find Itsy Bitsy Spider and start playing it. Well, I was telling my, my brother-in-law, I said, you know, you know, Oliver may be the first generation that doesn't learn how to type, because between touch and voice technologies, it may not be necessary. No, I, I, I think that we have to look at the possibility of there's going to be a future where we're not, um, uh, you know, text is a very, very efficient compression technology. You know, and and that's that, that's the you know that's what's been used for for a couple thousand years. It's it's a great way to record. It's a great way to compress a bunch of stuff. But it takes an enormous amount of CPU power for the encode and decode. So you have to be really smart at writing it, and you have to be really smart when you're reading it. And and the thing is, is that it's just not it's not an efficient medium anymore uh, when you compare it to video and audio and so on and so forth. I mean, I don't read books. I, I listen to them. I listen to I'm listening to the Steve Jobs book. I'm, I would never monotask that. You know, I mean, you know, that's, you know, and, and you know, people always talk about the problems with multitasking. Well, I'll tell you what the problem with monotasking is. It's a waste of time. I mean, when I'm cleaning, I can easily listen to a book. Or when I'm driving, I can listen to a book. And that's multitasking. But it's allowing me to do something, you know, gather more information than I would otherwise. And, and it's not, it's taking two, you know, two things that would take a long time and, and connecting those and making them, effect, making them a much more effective solution. And so, so the, um, I think that, uh, you know, 
I think it is going to get to a point where, where we don't need, you know, right now some schools are stopped. They're kind of slowing down the handwriting stuff and really, or cursive writing. And, and someone asked me about that. I was like, I haven't done cursive writing for 20 years. I mean, I don't cursive write anything. I, I don't even use lowercase letters anymore. No, me neither. Like when I write, I don't even know how, I don't think I know how to do lowercase anymore. I mean, I just write everything in capitals and, and that's because I'm happy because I have to write. And we, we tend to call paper cave walls. You know, we kind of make fun of people in the company who use paper and so and so you know i just write on the cave walls you know and all in capital if i have to write something down but it's very very rare um and and usually when someone writes a note down for me like oh here's somebody's phone number what i do is i set it on the on the desk and i take a picture of it on with my iphone because i'll lose it otherwise you know and, and when i take a picture on my well, iphone that's a good good yeah, go ahead yeah where do those things go i'm just curious it goes into the if, cloud if, if you don't have these little Little pieces of paper, do they are they just in your camera roll? Or are you using something like Evernote to keep them? Well, I have are a, they, they going in a they eventually when I have time and I'm sitting on a flight, I just type them all into into uh, my contacts or I put them into wherever they need to go. Oh, okay. Um but the um uh but what's great is is that I take a picture of it and it's now on, on my computer the next time it's connected to the internet, it's on my home computer, it's on my iPad. You know, because of the the way the iCloud works, it just boom, it's everywhere. You know, and uh, which is great when you're taking right. pictures of something you need to remember. It's not great when your daughter gets a hold of your iPad and takes um, forty photos of the ceiling. You know, and uh, but um, but it's a uh, the iCloud stuff is. At first, I was a little upset with it, and now I'm pretty addicted to it. Well, you know, I learned a lot about travel today. I didn't expect that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, we uh, it's funny because a lot of people um, who travel a lot. You meet you meet meet other people in the airport, and we can sit there and talk for an hour about manipulating our our frequent flyer miles, you know, or or yeah. uh, how we pack or or what we're using, and and there is this this kind of culture of of figuring all those pieces out. And my wife finds it to be completely uh, um, boring, a bore. So I, I have to avoid well, geeking I, out on it. I think the Pixel Core needs to do a new podcast. We've talked know, about it. Travel. Or something. We've talked about it. We've we've actually talked about all those. Do you things. guys, <laughs> a lot of information. Yeah, yeah, and it is it is something that is a little bit of a uh, there is a little mystic art to it to some degree that people figure it out painfully. But yeah, we, we've talked about doing it. It's mostly been, we've been doing so much production for other people. We've been having a hard time launching any new podcasts on our own. You, you were going really fast when you talked about Thunderbolt. I wanted to come back to that. I'm, I am personally watching this um, black magic intensity extreme device. That's supposed to be out in the fourth quarter that captures HDMI video to a thunderbolt equipped mac yeah it's gonna be huge i i'm just waiting yeah i hope they i hope they can get it out faster than the h264 recorder which took like 18 months but if they if they um if they get this out i mean we are um we really want to get those those uh um those interfaces that becomes a huge thing for us the um uh so yeah, we use mac minis a lot of times for confidence monitors so we want to enter we want to interconnect uh or you know, we want to have like uh, our video signals going in and then we run them into a, what's called a scope scope box, which allows us to look at all the scopes, the video scopes of our video feed to make sure we're getting clean video and making sure that the exposures are correct. And then we run it into another Mac mini uh, or another computer to get the audio. We use a program called Spectre to look at all the, all, look at the audio signal in kind of a clean sort of way. And, um, but having that, having that interface is just, uh, it's huge for us. Uh, we're actually looking at getting the extreme version of that, which is the SDI version, which I think has already been released, which lets you hook SDI up to it into Thunderbolt, which is, um, for us what we, uh, need, but the HDMI one is going to be great for those kind of monitoring situations. So the other one you're talking about is the ultra studio 3d. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's, you know, we're looking at that one. We're also looking at the AJA, uh, version of that. 
Uh, AGA makes a, um, a Thunderbolt. Uh, it's basically, I think it's the IO Express or IO Thunderbolt. And um, the advantage of AGA, it's funny, it's, it's a very subtle uh, difference. There's a lot of little bits of things that are, uh, that, that are pluses and minuses between AGA and Blackmagic. But the number one reason we use a lot of AGA components when we do is because they have a, a silly little control panel that actually tells us what's going on. So the AGA control panel tells us what's connected to our computer and how it's connected. With Blackmagic, you, you, you get to know what you told it to do, but you don't really know what it's actually doing. And AGA gives you a little flow chart that shows you I'm connected to a 720p signal or this is what's coming through. And it's funny, it's when you're in, in a production environment and bad things are happening, that turns out to be super important um, to shortening your fixed time. And that's the one frustration we have with a lot of the black magic components is not having a very, very simple interface, um, that, that gives us that, that information. And so that's tends to be why we end up spending more on AJA cards, uh, instead of the black magic cards is because of a, 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 a piece of software component that probably took someone like a week to write. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, what about just some of the basic stuff? I mean, are you, do you use Apple mail and iCal and stuff or do you use yeah. custom? Apps you know, I'd love that? to say that I use the custom apps. I don't, I don't, I, the, the, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I get frustrated by some of the stuff. I think that the search functions in the new mail is horrible. Um, I mean, I just feel like I just been, I'm thwarted at every moment of not being able to find emails uh, in my system where that I know are there. And if I, and then I search for them again, like I know it came from this guy at blah, 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 blah. And I look at it. I, I do a search for that person and it won't show up, but then I search for something else and there's that email. And it was, it was from that person. And for some reason, the new mail can't find it. Um, I went back to pretty well, that's in Go ahead. That's interesting. Cause I find it easier oh. to search. Yeah. I've, I've had the exact opposite. You know, I, I just have had mm-hmm. just a horrible time with it. And, and it's, uh, and so, um, so I, you know, I, I get frustrated with that. I, I wish, I have to admit that I feel that the you can build smart folders, and I kind of get that. But I really want to just have a search function that's like Entourage, which I used you know ten years ago. I haven't used it for ten years, but where I could just build, I want this plus that plus this plus that, and it was really easy for me just to throw up a very complex search function, which you can do with. I get you can do it with smart folders. I don't want a smart folder. I just want to do a search real quickly right now, and um, and so I find that to be a little bit frustrating. The problem is, is that I don't like it. You kind of have to buy into the, I mean, well, I don't know, you don't have to do anything, but as you start moving away into custom calendars and custom stuff, you, you stop losing some of the efficiency that you get with the iCloud. You stop losing some of the efficiency you get with being able to, like, one thing that I'm addicted to is, I mean, I, in mail, someone sends me, a, you know, I want um, a, uh, you know, do you want to meet at eight o'clock on Monday? And I can right click on that and create it in iCal like that, boom. And, um, and that is extremely important to me because otherwise, if I don't have it in a, if I'm not, uh, if I don't have an alarm for it, I will forget it. And so, so I have mm-hmm. to have all those or I'd miss all the many phone calls that I'm usually in. Yeah. So, so I, I still I use, agree. I, yeah. People are surprised. I use the same stuff. I use the basic Mac apps. Yeah. Generally I use mail and iCal. And, and, I, and I think that there are many that are better. I think Sparrow is really awesome. I think that it looks great. And, and if you're not buying into the whole experience of the iCloud experience, I think that I would probably be using Sparrow. But but I it's just that I, I have a hard time integrating all those things into the other things that I'm doing. I, I do like BusyCal though. I do like BusyCal. Yeah, I and I said I'm I just I just like everything to be connected. That's my that's my problem. 
you're a pretty busy guy. What what are you using to juggle all these things that you do for task management? Are you just using little to dos over an iCal, or are you using something more high power? Uh, we are. Um, so I use a variety of things. <laughs> One is I have really great producers. So uh, so that's 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 <laughs> part of what makes that work. You have people for yeah, that. Yeah, there's there are people who who. Uh, um, uh, kind of uh, manage that whether I need a person for yeah, that. Yeah, so whether it's Liana or Carolyn or uh, uh, or some of the other guys that work at the office, you know, there's a lot of people that manage a lot of those things. Um, but at the same time, for myself, uh, I'm using a lot of iCal um, with a lot of alarms. Uh, we are moving uh, more and more of what we do into Salesforce.com. So that's what we kind of manage. You know, we're managing more and more of our projects. We already manage a lot of our kind of informal um, discussions about things that need to be done inside of what's called chatter, uh, which is free. Um, we have a kind of a more advanced version of that that gives us access to dashboards and so on and so forth. And so more and more of our management um, process is moving into that, that cloud solution. And then of course we use a lot of Google docs to um, keep track of all those pieces. I mean, obviously you have to move more and more to the cloud because especially when you have all these devices, you have to be able to get to it from a lot of different, different directions or a bunch of different computers. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of things about Gmail that drive me crazy, but being able to open any computer and, and pop open a window and get to my mail is is really important to me. And the, one of the lingering questions that we have not yet answered um, in many shows, and it seems to be everybody's pet peeve, is how does somebody who runs a business and has to pay employees and has to pay taxes and has to invoice do it on a Mac? Is there a good way to do it? No. <laughs> there's okay. not there's not there's, and we still haven't yeah, answered it, that question it's, uh, we the quickbooks on the mac is unusable in my opinion um we use uh we use quickbooks uh and we use that on so the the, the solution right now for us is we use quickbooks on a um on a mac but it's on it's in via virtualized uh, yeah, yeah virtually through to the pc the pc side works it's a horrible i mean i, I don't know it's a, my my opinion of quickbooks is it's a horrible application it's just better than all the other alternatives um, but once you start getting, you can get away with a lot when you're a small business, but once you start, you know, having more than five or six employees, you know, you really need to use QuickBooks. And once you start using QuickBooks, the Mac version is just not sufficient. And the online version is frustrating. So, so that you really, you know, the, the PC version of QuickBooks is still the solution. Yeah. It, it's remarkable to me what they've done to the Mac version. It's just a, it's like they don't want to sell it. Yeah, I, I just think that it's I, I think probably it's they, they built it up on the PC. They tried to port it to the Mac and it is, you know, it's just what they're doing is admittedly fairly complex. Um, and and so, you know, we always hope that someone like Salesforce or Google or someone else will come in and and uh, and make that go away for us. But we don't know if it'll ever happen. It's, it is a complex thing. Um, and uh, and it's not trivial to, to move all those calculations and all the tools that they've built in, you know, you can't just, you know, you get, writing it from scratch is, is a big investment and that's what they really have to do to make it work. They can't just port what they did on the PC. They've tried, I think that what they try to do is some kind of band aid where you hire a company that basically virtualizes all the code and, you know, that just hasn't worked, you know, and it's not, it's not. Well, well, why don't they even just start with making it, the same file format on both. <laughs> well, because that would require that means that all the code has to be the same. That's the issue, and and we've had that issue in cross-platform um, situations. Uh, same same problem where it's just, uh, um, yeah. So so that's a that's the problem. That's the problem that they have. Well, Alex, I want to thank you for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you. Well, thank you for having. I mean, me. we've learned a ton about 
production, setting up your own studio in your house, and travel. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, well, it's, it's definitely been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so where can people find you? Uh, they can find me. Uh, the, you know, the easiest place to fi- find me, of course, is uh, Alex Lindsay, uh, all one word, on Twitter. Um, and uh, so that's that's a great way to find me. I'm also Alex Lindsay on Google+, Plus, which I'm committed to uh, doing more posting on. I'm kind of excited about that. Uh, um, the pixel core, of course, pixelcore.com, or you can follow pixel core on, um, on Twitter. And the, the great thing about that is that we tell you when we're doing live streams and any other things that we're uploading and, and mine is much more informal. Uh, it, if I'm really busy, you'll know, cause I'm not Twittering very much, but, uh, uh, but I am, you know, it'll be some stuff that's personal, some stuff that's professional pixel core will, you know, uh, which is spelled by the way, C O R P S it's uh, like Marine Corps or Peace Corps, but pixel core, um, is much more of a much more business related. This is what we're doing kind of thing. And so um, those are probably the best places. Of course, I also have a company called DV Garage. We make training products for um, and uh, some other tools. So you can go to dvgarage.com as well. And, you know, even if you're not going to make the next Star Wars movie and you're not looking to do this as a career, there's so much to learn from Pixel Core. Like when you guys did that coverage of the new version of Final Cut, I thought it was outstanding. Thank you. And I'm not a professional video guy, but it was the place to well, go. And, and, and that's the, you know, we're hoping to keep on providing those opportunities for, uh, you know, people. And we do a lot of that kind of stuff internally as well. And the goal is not necessarily, we don't, I don't look at um, video production as, as a professional solution only. I really look at it as, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, and media. You know, it's, it's something that you have to understand how to use in the next, you know, in, in what we're doing, whether you're a salesperson or a or a mom or a kid or a, you know, a lawyer or whatever, you have to understand how this stuff comes together. And so when we look at the, one of the reasons we've made the membership so inexpensive is to make sure that we can include people who know that this is not going to be their profession. Um, this is just something that they're interested in and, and, and they're passionate about. And 40% of the Pixel members are people who are, um, they are house moms in there and they are uh, working at the CDC in there and they uh, work on farms and they do all kinds of other things and they're, they're not, uh, they're not graphics professionals, but they are passionate about graphics. Well, thanks a lot, Alex, for coming in. My pleasure. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again yeah, soon. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Alex. Well, David, it was great to talk to Alex Lindsay. I think this could t- turn out to be one of my favorite workflow shows. I can't believe how much I learned about travel. Yeah, smart guy. He's a very smart guy. Um, so we talked about a lot in the show, and if you want to find links to pretty much everything we talked about in the show notes. Uh, You can find those on our website at www.macpowerusers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. Slash 63. Slash 63. Or you could find the whole Mac Power Users website at 5x5.tv slash MPU. That works too. That works too. So how do you get a hold of us? Uh, You can email us at feedback at MacPowerUsers.com, and that will send an email to both David and I. It's the best way to get a hold of us. You can also follow us on Twitter. It's at MacPowerUsers. Um, Katie is at Katie Floyd, and I'm at Max Sparky. Right. Or we're also on Facebook, Facebook.com slash MacPowerUsers. And my Facebook account's been reactivated. Oh, my gosh. You go back and forth and back and forth. I know. It's family stuff. I'm, I'm catching a lot of heat from my family for not being connected to what what's going on in their lives. So I think I'm going to just connect, reconnect to it, but I'm going to be really brutal and just have like 10 friends, you know? Well, you know, you could do the whole uh, public profiles thing. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. You know, and let people subscribe to you and only have certain posts be public. Yeah. 
I don't know. You could do that. Um, but anyway, and, uh, you know, it, uh, it is getting ready for gift giving time. So you might want to check out the Mac power users gear store. So if you're looking for the perfect gift for your geek, we've got Mac power users, mugs and t-shirts and sweatshirts and water bottles and all kinds of cool, uh, Mac power user stuff for your favorite Mac power users listener or yourself, yeah. buy yourself a present. Even if you don't like us, you know, that's kind of a cool Even shirt. If you don't like us. It is a cool shirt. But if you've listened this yeah. long, you probably like us. You probably like us. And if you've listened this long to like us, you should probably leave us a comment over on iTunes. Yeah. That's always helpful. Yeah. That's very helpful. So what's next? Uh, next, we are going to be talking about Keyboard Maestro. Yeah. Uh, keep- which is uh, an application that's going to let you automate a whole lot of keystrokes and tasks on your Mac, right? Yeah. it's. Uh, I think we're looking at a theme of automation as we move into 2012. We're going to be doing a lot of shows on ways of automating your Mac and kicking it off. We're going to talk in depth about Keyboard Maestro, which is a an app we've never really covered on the show. And it's got some pretty nerdy stuff you can use. So, And we'll have a guest, and it's going to be a great show. All right. So thank you to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Smile, 1Password, Omnigroup, Chrometa, and Byword. And thanks to our individual sponsors who have been supporting us. We really appreciate all of your efforts. And uh, David, I appreciate all of your efforts as well. So I will see you next time to talk about Keyboard Maestro. Looking forward to it. Take care.